know. One is I don't want to know anything about um, um, a thousand camels and fleas, that's for sure. But the other thing I really, really want, and I do know, is a shirt like Godwin. I love it. I'm into shirts, Godwin, and I just love that one. All right. Something to be thankful for today is soft seats, because we're going to enjoy a soft seat today as we go through the message today. You're here for at least another 30 minutes. Okay. Three questions for you. What are you going to learn today? What is God going to say to you? And what are you going to do? So let's pray. Gracious God, we just thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for today. And we thank you for your word. And I just pray, Father, that as we uh, open our hearts to you today, that our minds will be able to absorb what you have us to uh, hear and our hearts be able to um, take on board, Lord, to uh, what we can do for you in in and around how we live and our choices that we make. Father, we just thank you for Jesus and his love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our message today is entitled, Get Over Yourself. So please turn to your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you have them there. Now, 1 Timothy was written by Paul to Timothy, by an older leader, if you like, to a younger pastor who he was mentoring and pouring into. In this letter, 1 Timothy, that's where we're going to look at, Paul is a seasoned pastor, if you like. That's how I like to refer him. He urges Timothy, a less mature pastor, to hold on to the key parts of being a Christian and a Christian leader. And Paul reminds Timothy of life that he was called to, of the life that he was called to when he was saved through Jesus Christ. And he's trying to convey here in our passage today that there are some big things that you have to make certain that you stay attached to so that you don't get off course. Hopefully today's message will also help us into 2024 and stay on course. But unfortunately what Paul talks about today in our passage, we still see in today's world and in today's church. When we believe lies, when we foster bad habits, when we develop the wrong mindset, when we get stuck in spiritual ruts, what happens? What happens when that happens? We limit the effectiveness in reaching out to those around us with the message of God's love. And so Paul today is going to do something. He's going to stress to Timothy to encourage those early Christians to get over themselves. That wisdom is quite appropriate for us today as well. You see, one of Satan's favorite tricks and tactics is to either twist or deny God's truth. And Satan would love nothing more than to cause us to doubt God's faithfulness or to believe that his words might not be true. And in 1 Timothy, Paul spends a lot of time actually warning Timothy about false teaching because some of that was taking place and the basics of the Christian message back in the first century, things were already beginning to be twisted, would you believe? And Paul, by the way, he has no patience. 
He is a man that has no patience for lies or half-truths in the church. So when we embrace, embrace a lot of Jesus' truth, but we insert just a little of our own personal opinions and human desires, then what happens? We have diluted it. And we no longer have truth. It doesn't matter if we dilute truth 20% or if we dilute it just 2%, it's no longer God's truth. And when Paul writes this letter to Timothy, that's what was beginning to happen there in Ephesus and also elsewhere. Man's personal opinion was beginning to infiltrate the church and their teaching. And it was spilling over from the decadence and the multicultural view that prevailed and perverted much of Ephesus. Just quickly, Paul had spent about three years of local ministry right there in Ephesus, longer than any other place along his journey. So he knew it quite well. Paint the picture, Ephesus was one of the greatest cities in the Roman Empire. Its population was somewhere around a quarter of a million people. They had a theatre that seated 24,000 people. They had everything from education. They had commerce, the things for sports, things for medicine. It was a growing city in the world's largest empire, and they prided themselves on being progressive and open-minded. And they worshipped a variety of different gods, and they, lined, and they lined along the street when you visited there, different symbols for all these different gods. And when it came to morality, anything went. And so they experimented in a variety of ways. And basically some of what was going on in that community spilled over into the life of the church. Paul makes it clear when we deviate from God's plan and we allow the world to become the church, we are headed for trouble. Now a fellow by the name of Paul Harvey said it like this. He said, sin always starts out being fun. And he's right. But in the end, you pay much too high of a price. When you and I stray from the fellowship and accountability of a church or from God's plan for the Christian life, your heart will lack peace. Your relationships, can I say, will suffer. We are today, as I said, going to see Paul challenge Timothy to challenge those in the early church to get over themselves. Now, Kate's going to come up and, and bring our Bible reading. Yes, we're getting to the Bible reading. And First uh, Timothy, thanks, come on, come on up, Kate. And it comes from chapter 6, reading from verses 2b, so right at the end of uh, verse 2 through to 5. I'll put it up on the screen so you can follow along with Kate as well. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Thanks, Kate. 
What a passage, eh? I want to emphasize that in what was just read to you, Paul doesn't just randomly bring up false teaching and money. No, it's part of how we Christians should carry ourselves in relationships and in society and the church. However, just like much of today, the Christians in Ephesus were facing distractions and deception designed by the devil to derail them. And therefore, Paul wants to make certain that the Ephesian Christians stay close to Christ and that they realize that Jesus is the one who holds the truth. So in 2024, that's tomorrow, my prayer is that we will help each other stay close to God's truth. But how do we do this? And we're going to have a quick look at some points today about how we do this. So I want to talk with you about three different realities that are found in our passage this morning that we're going to look at. So reality number one, truth is found in Scripture. You might say, yes, Miles. Paul tells Timothy both that the previous relational and societal instructions, now I'm going to, you got some homework back in chapter five. You're going to have to go home and read that one. But I'm going to tell you it's in chapter five and now in the beginning of chapter six. Back then he was teaching about the relationships and societal instructions. And he said, those to be taught widely. Uh, and this verse in verse three is, is basically a transitional verse from chapter five to chapter six. And it talks about other things that, I, that we are to, to teach. So this is kind, as I said, a transitional verse between the teaching in chapter 5 and chapter 6. So verse 3, let's put it back up on the screen. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and do godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. When Paul spoke of, as you can see, I've highlighted that their sound instruction, it literally means healthy it means functioning well. And sound instruction is always based on Jesus. And it always produces godliness. And God's word tells us how to live. God's son showed us how to live and set the example for us. And can I say that he became the standard our Jesus did. Back in the late 1820s, in America, President John Quincy, John Quincy Adams, he was his name, stood before Congress and held two different baskets. And each of them was a bushel. There was a bushel in this, bar, in this hand and a bushel in this hand. One was from South Carolina, one was from New York. And he pointed out how one had 68 cubic inches more than the other. And then he showed them two one-pound weights one from Maine and the other was from Massachusetts. One of them weighed nearly an ounce more than the other. And he said, gentlemen, we need a standard. We need a standard weight and a standard measure. You see, if you have a basket in Kentucky, it could be off a cubic inch. A scale can be off a fraction, but if there is a standard measure, that is what determines truth. And so now today, if you were to go to Washington, D.C. today, there is a Bureau of Weights and Measures because of what John Quincy Adams started 
It has an exact inch. It has an exact bushel. It has a pound. It can all be measured there. And the measurements are absolute. And because of this, commerce thrived and society functioned well based upon the unchanging absolute of those scales. Now, can I tell you something today? This is our measuring rod. This is our standard. This is the absolute truth. This is God's measurement. And God has gone to great lengths to preserve it so that you and I could know the truth. Scripture tells us who God is and shows us most closely who is God through Jesus Christ. If it doesn't match what we see in the scripture, then it is not worth following. Yeah, truth always lines up with scripture, and scripture always lines up with truth. And that's where we need to go. That's where we need to run. Because these aren't the words of a man. These are the words of God. And we need to remember that in 2024. Now you probably know 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 up on the screen there. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in the righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God can use scripture, his truth to equip you. Whether you had lived a thousand years ago, whether you lived a hundred years ago, or the fact that you live today, it has the answers. It can help a parent know how to raise a child. It can help you with your leadership questions that you might be struggling with in the workplace. It can tell you how to live for eternity. And this truth can set you free. When I was in prison ministry, I gave to all my prison chaplains a small coin like this, and it's called, on the front is flip the script. And sometimes, quite often, they, when they're talking with inmates, they would be talking to them about how to flip the script. Satan gives you a script to read every day. It's a story that he wants you to believe the lies. But if you flip the script into the truth, John 8, 31, 32 is written on the back, and it says, Jesus said... Hold on to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. B-I-B-L-E, I've mentioned it before, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's our word, the word of God. The second reality I want to share with you this morning is truth unites a church. Let's look at verse 3 again. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to God's godly teaching, they are what? Conceited. And that word conceited there, it literally means that they are puffed up. Imagine a person being puffed up with themselves. And it goes on in the verse. And they understand nothing they have unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, 
and constant friction between people of corrupt mind. They have unhealthy and unhealthy interest in controversies. Question, do you know people like that? They just like to stir things up. They are agitators and they are not uniters. They're the type of people that like to cause problems. False teachers stir up dissension and frustration and arguments and division. But the church can unify around Jesus Christ and his truth. That doesn't mean that there aren't some uncomfortable things about Christian doctrine or some hard conversations to be had at times. But even when it's difficult, God's truth is healthy and it produces unity. It reminds me of a quote that over the years has helped me at times when certain things are thrown at me in life, particularly sometimes in ministry. And this is what the quote says. It says, The person who leads the orchestra must be willing to turn their back to the crowd. That's good advice for all of us, I believe, to keep our focus and not get pulled off sides by those who would distract us from our main mission. Solomon said in Proverbs 29.25, the fear of human opinion disables trusting in God, protects you from that. So let's get back to it. Here is what's taking in, in place in Ephesus. They're distorting things through their teaching. They are deviating from healthy doctrine in exchange for an unhealthy doctrine that fits in more with what was taking place in the public forum and in their community. And the lesson for us to draw from the Ephesian church, I believe, is that we must fight the urge to turn all our must fight the urge to turn all our attention inward and from getting what we want. This is where we need to turn it to, and that is to turn it instead, our attention outward and upward. We need to must fight the urge. I've got that up there wrong. Not to turn all our attention inward and get what we want, but to turn it outward and upward. James 3, verse 14. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. For where you have an envy and self-ambition, there you find disorder and evil practice. So can I say division? Division is the byproduct when Christians deny the truth. In fact, in verse 15 of James 3, if you read a little bit further, he actually calls bitterness and selfishness as divisive acts and also downright demonic. But back in the first century AD, there were people posing as intellectuals who used philosophy to manipulate the minds of people or to stir up unhealthy conversations and to neglect what they needed to be talking about. They would quibble over the little things and they would forget the central part of the story of Christ. Sadly, in close to 20 years of ministry, I've met some of their descendants. People who major in minors and they probably never set out to try and cause problems, but jealousy creeps in or they didn't get their way in some area or program that they were involved in when it ended. And they gradually just start interjecting their personal thoughts and sprinkling into their teaching just a dose of their own opinion. And pretty soon, do you know what you end up with? A diluted 
doctrine. And if you aren't careful, prideful people with a different agenda can dig in and distort the doctrine and twist the truth and cause you to lose sight of the main goal. Now, can I share with you just a very quick story? I'm glad no one said no. It, it hasn't happened yet, thankfully. It's just a quick story. Several decades ago, there was a problem in London. Buses were driving past passengers who were waiting to be picked up. They were at the bus stops. They were there at the appointed place at the appointed time, but as they stood and waited, the buses were just sailing past them. And as you can imagine, they began to talk about it on talk shows and they wrote about it in the paper. And so the London Transit Authorities thought... We've got to say something about this and explain our actions. So they put out a press release explaining why they were doing this at times. And this press release has now become infamous and has been used in countless marketing and public relation courses. This is what their explanation was. It is impossible for us to maintain our schedules if we're always having to stop and pick up passengers. (laughs) Gee, I kind of thought that's what the transit system was for, right? I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that was their explanation. They forgot what the main thing was. And Satan wins a victory when unity is damaged because people have focused on the peripheral rather than the primary. And that occurs when Christians are arguing amongst themselves instead of focusing on how to connect people to Jesus. And they typically, they're not usually fighting over more effective ways to help the homeless and they're not typically not arguing how they can do more things for single mums or for widows in the church and their shouting matches and their silent treatments and their pouting and their gossip and their rants on social media are more rooted in the personal entitlement and pride more than saving souls and beating down the gates of hell. Gee, I kind of thought that was the purpose of the Christian. That was the purpose of the church. That is the purpose of the church. To connect people to Jesus and save them from hell. Back in 2016, Life Research Group revealed that the number one reason churches die is because over time they develop an inward focus. Now I was talking just the other week as I was preparing for this message And I said, you know, it's crazy, isn't it? That here's a church 2,000 years ago, back in Ephesus, and we still have the same problems today in many of our churches as what was had back then. And he said, yeah, you're right. He said, but we still have the same solution as well. And that's true. The solution is Jesus is the only answer. Not just the answer, he is the only answer. Because what? He's the measuring rod. He's the standard. He's the, only, it, the Bible is the only book that can help us to give us God's wisdom. And our job is to point people to the one who never changes. And that's Jesus Christ. So can I say, 2024, let it come. Let it come. Lastly, here's the third reality. Truth glorifies God. And I just want to read to you this passage one more time. You're probably saying, Miles, you've already read it twice. Well, guess what? 
I need to hear it again. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind. Now get this. Who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now I just want to quickly touch on that. What is Paul talking about here? Well, earlier in chapter 5, that's your homework, Paul talks about how there were some church leaders where people were wondering whether or not they should be paid for their ministry. And Paul says, of course they should be paid for the ministry that they're performing. He's not against people making a living from their Christian ministry. He is, however, taking advantage in this section of Scripture to challenge those people not to seek prosperity or glory or fame from their ministry. However, there were some people even back in the first century who got involved in in preaching or programs or, or whatever within the church because they saw it as a way to get money. The goal of any ministry should be to spread the truth and to glorify God. That's simple. But please realize this. We are blessed here at Toowoomba North Church of Christ. We are blessed to have each other. We are blessed with wonderful facilities, yeah. We are blessed with, I hope, solid teaching, and I believe we are. We are blessed with many volunteers. There are many blessings. I can't name them all. We are blessed. You are blessed. And let me put an exclamation mark on that. You see, God continues to do a great work through you. 2023, we've seen so much, and he will continue to do that because he is a faithful God through your loving of people, through your sharing of Christ with others. Can I also say that when you give financially, you're not giving to the church, but through the church. Big difference. God will continue, I believe, to do a great work in 2024 through Toowoomba North Church of Christ, as long as, as long as the focus of this church remains on Jesus. As long as the church revolves around God's word, not on programs and preferences, although that is supporting, but we must remain in God's word because the purpose of preaching the truth is to bring God glory and no one else. So one last thing. Who's been watching the cricket? Tennis is on too, but the cricket... But now, if you're a sports fan, you'll probably watch some football as well. You might watch some basketball. However, in most cases, what you will see is you will see an athlete wearing a jersey. And typically, that jersey has the team's name on the front. Australian cricket team or, or um, basketball team or whatever that might be. And it has the player's name on the back. You say, well, Miles, what's significant about that? Well, a wise coach will always remind his team that we play for the name on the front. We don't play for the name on the back. Because in the heat of competition, as a player, you need to make decisions on behalf of the team rather than the individual. You don't worry about the personal stats You want to win and you want to advance and you want to make it to another game or up the ladder. You want to be united as a team. 
because there's a greater cause. And that's the way it is with the church. And in this passage, Paul is suggesting, I believe, that the church is a team. We're filled with all sorts of players, with all sorts of names, all sorts of different giftings and talents that God has blessed us with. And what happens when we come together and we realize that the only name that matters is the one that's on the front of the jersey, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. When we get over ourselves, Jesus and the gospel becomes the focus. And then who, who leads Bible study, or who leads worship, or who stands in this pulpit, becomes much less important because our focus is on our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to make certain that we're living for him in 2024 and that we're lifting him up and that we're connecting people to Jesus. You see, it's true that truth is found in Scripture and that truth unites the church and that truth seeks to glorify God. And let me say, and I'm sure you will agree actually, we see it in many fundraising events, um, GoFund pages, things like that. There is an unbelievable power that comes when a group is united and are all moving in one direction. So what is our 2024 looking like? And this one direction is the same, is, is true with the church. When we are all focused and moving in that one direction, to connect people to Jesus and one another by loving where we are, home, work, wherever you are placed. What's our mission of our church? To know Jesus and to make him known. Work, hobby, sport, wherever that is, it might be just in your neighbourhood, in your home. I'd like to invite you today to join that team afresh for 2024 here at Toowoomba North Church of Christ. This is your playbook. Put on the Jesus jersey. And if you're willing to give up on the emptiness and philosophies of this world and the dead ends of trying to find fulfilment, turn your life over to Jesus. Because you know what? We need to get over ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do want to get over ourselves. And Father, we often find ourselves in that place that Paul talked to Timothy about. And Father, I confess to you in front of brothers and sisters here today that at times I struggle in this area because, yes, yeah, sometimes I enjoy the spotlight more than I should. Lord, I pray that you will help to teach me to put more of a focus on you and others and less on me. I pray this prayer for each one of us here today, that this will be the prayer that all of us embrace and pray for every day, that you will do your work in us so that Jesus is glorified, that he may increase while we decrease. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our uh, last song.